Um, tonight's Bible reading comes from James 5, verses 1 to 6. Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of, of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. Amen. Thank you for that, Catherine. Well, obviously, we're continuing our series in James and starting uh, James chapter 5 this week and uh, looking at these first six verses. And uh, we find that as we open this chapter of James, he doesn't mince words. And James has got this habit of doing this. And he addresses the rich. And if they pay attention to what he's actually saying here, they'd find it quite distressing. They'd find it quite challenging. And some of what he's saying is about people taking advantage of the poor, or taking money or gaining an advantage in a dishonest way. But much of what he's saying here can actually be applied to us. And I think the danger for us is when we read a passage like this, we have a tendency to actually fob it off. We think that it doesn't actually apply to us because he's writing to the rich. And I, I just want to ask us, you know, don't, don't go to that default where you say, well, I'm not rich, so he's not talking to me. None of this applies. We have this habit of actually doing that. So in these cases, when the scripture doesn't seem to apply to me, I need to be honest. What's the actual underlying message here? What's the attitude of heart which causes this outworking that is being talked about here? And we should really come before God and honestly ask, is there any of this that applies to me right now? Let's pause and pray. Father God, we need to hear the truth of your voice in what we study this evening. We need you to speak to each and every individual. So, Father, will you reveal the truth of your word to us? That's all we ask for, Lord. Challenge us. Draw us closer to your side. Help us to go from this place wanting to change or change because we want to move closer to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as James starts this off, he's got something that he says, and basically what he's talking about is the coming judgment that is going to come upon these people. And I don't know if our attitudes are because of our sinful nature or because of the society that we live in, the people that we're surrounded by, the communities that we're in or what. But uh, we have this way of thinking where we look at someone and we look at all the possessions that they have, we look at all the nice things they have and we seem to think within our minds, well, they are blessed. Guilty of that? Yeah, I am. I am. I've done that. And at the heart of James's message tonight is that these riches are not always a blessing. These riches are not always good. And so often, what we have and what we desire become a distraction to what God would really have us to do. And so James 5, 1 to 3 says, 
Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. And James begins this chapter in much the same way as what he did James 4.13. Remember that word that he used there? It's this exclamation, it's this statement, it's, it's, it's a bold, brusque address. And so he's wanting to draw people's attention. He wants them to realize that there's serious implications for the way that they're actually living. And if you like, in this case, where it says, come now, he's basically saying, hey, you, pay attention. He wants them to realize that they're on the brink of something really bad. And then he uses some pretty interesting words here, doesn't he? Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Has anyone ever had anyone say that to themselves, to them? Hasn't happened to me yet, praise God. But he uses these words and... It seems really bizarre that he would use this. But what he's talking about, he's talking about Jesus' return. He's talking about when Jesus is going to come again and his judgment is going to come with him. And the question that he's really asking is, if that judgment were to be right here, right now, would you behave in a different manner? Would you perhaps do things a little differently with the possessions that you had? He's telling them to consider their actions. What they have, and in this case, what they haven't done in light of Jesus' return And his call is for them to respond immediately and appropriately. He calls them to weep. Now, I know you all know what weeping is, but the word translated here means to respond to disaster in a rightful manner. It's a response that comes from being in grief and truly remorseful for what has happened. So when he calls them to weep, he's saying, look what you've done with your possessions. Look what you've done with your riches. You had so much potential. You could have changed so many lives, but you didn't. Weep. Repent, be remorseful. That was not the reason and the purpose that you were given these things. And then he says, howling or wailing, as you would have heard in the NIV. And it means to howl particularly in response to a sudden or unexpected evil. And he's saying, in this case, it's not actually evil, but death's coming, judgment's coming. And because you haven't responded to Christ in the way that you should, because you haven't responded to God the way that you should, That judgment's not going to be pretty for you. In fact, it's going to be pretty terrible. It's going to involve separation from God. And James is issuing this word of warning. He's saying, beware, this judgment is coming. It's like a freight train. There's no turning it back. It's going to be upon you. Weep and howl. Change your behavior before it's too late. There is misery, misery that is coming upon you. And of course, as I've said, He's talking about that coming judgment when Christ returns to cause them home. And he's saying, be careful. And the word that James is speaking is not against being wealthy. But it's interesting, isn't it, that when James speaks to the wealthy, he doesn't say this is to wealthy Christians. He doesn't say this is to wealthy non-Christians. He doesn't say this is to wealthy people who do good things with the money. He doesn't say this is to wealthy people who do bad things with the money. He says, this is to the wealthy. And what he's saying is, if you have wealth... Consider this. Think about what you're doing. Even if you're doing the right thing, reassess what you're doing. What is your motivation? And that's a word for us. Any word that is spoken, we should be able to step back from it and say, well, is this about me? Is there part of this in my heart? Is God challenging me to change? But so often we want to stand and say, well, that's not me. 
And so when he speaks to the wealthy, he's just speaking about those who do actually have money. And these guys, it's against those who've got wealth and have hoarded it, who've kept it for themselves, who've stored it up perhaps for retirement. They've become self-trusting, self-sufficient. And in a lot of ways, this is the attitude in Australia today. I had a young Christian ask me why we don't see the miraculous things God does in other parts of the world. I think this is at the heart of it. So many Christians don't see their need for God. We are self-sufficient. We've got everything that we need. Why? Why would we wail out to God? Why would we beg God to intervene? Why would we ask him to move in our lives? And then when we speak about being wealthy, we don't consider ourselves wealthy. We, we actually think some of us are struggling. But it's when we compare ourselves to each other here in Australia. And I'm not belittling those of you who do have financial difficulties. I'm not belittling that at all. But you, know, you heard Pastor Dean last Sunday morning, if you were here, he spoke about um, us being in the top 7% of the rich people in the world. I know that for a fact. You've seen me put up the Global Rich List. So if you want to check that out again, Global Rich List, it's a website. Just punch in how much money you earn a year. I guarantee you, you'll be in the top 7% without fail. I'm actually quite a bit higher than that with my wife. But that's where we are. And we don't consider ourselves wealthy. We take it for granted. Do you, do you think you take your wealth for granted? You know, you think about it. My kids went to the pantry cupboard the other day. They opened the door and they said, there's nothing here to eat. There wasn't. All the shelves were empty. No, that's not true. But it's true, isn't it? You know, the thing is, well, what I particularly feel like, no, I don't want any of that stuff. So there's nothing there to eat. You know, in other places of the world, we, we heard the story of that girl that became a lawyer last week. And, you know, when she had nothing to eat, she had a dirty glass of water before she went to school. That is having nothing to eat. And so we do take so much for granted in this world and we are so wealthy, comparatively speaking. And praise God, like seriously, I don't want to beat you guys up, 45 new kids sponsored last week. How awesome is that? You know, <laughs> praise God, praise God. And you know, that is an incredible thing. And so, I, I don't know, that puts us at a 220 odd? 226. Two, oh, Someone knows. 226 uh, children sponsored by this church. That is absolutely phenomenal. And making a difference, I have no doubt whatsoever. And it's so easy for us to do that. And James's point here is that there's enough for everyone. You know, people say, if there was a God, why is there so much starvation? If there was a God, why is there so much sickness? If there is a God, why is there so much poverty? It's because we don't get off our butt and do something about it. There is enough in this world for everyone. They've proven it thousands of times over. It's just the greed. And again, I'm not saying you guys are greedy, but it's the greed of our nations that want to hold it back, who want us to be profitable and wealthy when there's enough for everyone. And we're going to be held to account for that. We really are. Speaking as a nation, we'll be held to account. And James tells them, your riches have rotted. Your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver is tarnished. Gold and silver doesn't tarnish, by the way, but he's painting a picture here. It means it's unused. It's just sitting there, untouched. 
stored away. What you have gained could have been used as such a blessing for so many. Instead, it's sitting there, rotting away for you to have a good life. And it is going to be used as evidence against you. What you thought was for your good, what you thought was going to be a great thing, is going to be used as evidence against you. What the rich people think of as a blessing, what, is thought, what they thought was going to bring them good in their final days, is actually going to become a liability. And the fact that it is unused is going to speak against them. And these wealthy will enjoy what they have. But unless they repent, their ultimate destiny is set. You see, they've got the wrong focus. Okay, it's going to be not like that, is it? Luke 12, 34 tells us, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And, and this is what we talk about when we become Christians. We, we should have this fundamental shift where we go from focusing on how we get ahead in the world, what we should be doing in order to get the great Australian dream, that house on a quarter acre block and whatever else it is that we should have, the nice car in the driveway, the other one in the shed. And we should shift from that focus to a focus that is upon the things that last for eternity. Now, I'm not saying having a house and a couple of cars is a bad thing, but if that becomes your primary focus, that's a serious situation and a serious problem. We should always do what we do with God in mind, and our treasure, our hearts, should be for that which is in eternity. And so what we have, we hold loosely in our hands, and when God tells us to give it up, we give it up. We don't question it. We just let it go. And trust me, you can't outgive God. He's just incredible the way that he continues to bless us. But what we have, we have to realize is his. He gave everything for us. He's asking us to do the same for him. And so many people are focused on the here and now, what they can gain and acquire. James is saying that as believers, if you hoard wealth, if you hold back that which you can share, you're going to be held liable. And he provides these statements to the wealthy. What you have is temporal. It's subject to the elements. It's going to be eaten away. The ravages of time are going to destroy them. And you're guilty of crimes against your brothers and sisters. You will be judged and condemned for accumulating what is only temporal. And they've been focusing on that instead of focusing on God's will and what's eternal. And James says, and others, that this is a picture of a person who's been given much, and yet they're not practicing true religion in using what they have for the benefit of others and for the glory of God. And it's clearly evident that when it comes to what they have been blessed with, they didn't care about others. They thought about themselves. And it becomes an incredible waste. Then James moves on. And he speaks about dishonesty. And James is speaking to landlords here. He's been speaking about people who hoard up all their wealth and things like that, the gold, the silver, the fine linen and clothes and things like that. But now he shifts and he's talking about some landlords. And in this day and age, when, and James is actually writing this, the landlords would often not actually 
look at the land that they purchased. They'd just buy it uh, sight unseen, basically. There was this great thing in owning great tracts of land. And they'd put a manager in there, and the manager would look after the land for them. They'd harvest it and everything like that. And the manager usually looked after himself, but often didn't look after those who were doing all the work. And that was the case here. So all too often, the workers were not paid. And that's what it says in James 5.4. Behold, the wages of your laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. And these are strong statements once again. It expresses the seriousness of what is going on. And back in Genesis 4.10, you see a similar term where the blood of Abel cried out from the ground concerning the sin of Cain. And here we have the workers' wages crying out in much the same way. This is a great injustice. This is serious stuff. And the money that has been held back in the landowner's treasury is crying out as a witness against the landowner. Again, he's got this great wealth, but it's going to be to his detriment. It's going to be his undoing. It is going to be used as evidence against him. And God has heard both the cries of the wages and the cries of the harvesters. And the judgment that has already been decided is coming. It's on its way. It's done. And for us, there's obviously a warning here as well. If we've done anything illegal or deceptive to the detriment of others, we didn't get away with it. We might have thought we did, but we didn't. God knows, and his judgment is coming. God is righteous and holy, and because he calls us to be the same, he will not allow anything we have gained dishonestly or deceitfully to go unpunished. Think about tax time. So many people offer us ways to defraud the taxation department. When Elena and I were in business, so many people offered to put the things we had repaired at our house on our business so that we could get away with a few hundred bucks. It's constant. It's continual. It's a temptation. But we have to make that stand and say, no. You know, God's blessed us with so much. Why would we try and do something that's illegal to gain a few extra dollars? Who are we kidding? God knows. And if we've done that, there's only one reason why we do that. That's what James speaks about next. It's selfishness. We put ourselves before anyone and anything else. And in reality, it shows that we don't really care for anyone. We don't care for God because we're going against his principles and what he's called us to do. And we don't care for those in need. Or when we do, for so many, it's simply a public show so people will see us giving and that's not what it's about. James 5.5 5 says, You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. And so James is now speaking about the type of life, life that the wealthy are living. And again, I don't think that type of life per se is necessarily sinful. I know a few millionaires, lovely Christian people who give away so much money, they keep giving it away, God keeps blessing them. One guy in particular has set up medical practices right across the world. Very wealthy man. But that hasn't been his motivation, he just keeps getting more money so he can keep doing the work that God has got him doing. And it's the attitude when we just want to hold this and hoard this or 
just purchase all this stuff so that we can live better. And so these are those people who have this luxury, this self-indulgence. You know, the thousand, no, don't worry about the thousand thread count sheets. You can have those. But it's a comfort that we live now and into retirement. It's setting ourselves up for this life that's just going to be totally comfortable. And the attitude has been to make the best possible life for themselves and for their families, for their children and things like that. And James is saying, it's foolish. You're crazy. Why would you do that? It's like you've fattened yourself up for the day of slaughter. You know, when you go to slaughter a cow, which one do you slaughter? The fattest one. It's the best one for the party. And so that's what James is saying. You know, you've really set yourself up for this. You're asking for it. God is not going to tarry. He's going to bring his judgment. And these people who prefer to focus on themselves and their comfort rather than the call of mission and mission of God. And God gives resources in order to bless others and to practice true religion. But these people are just sitting back and doing nothing. Think about that. Is there any of that attitude in us where we just sit back and do nothing? I want to think about this passage in James and all he's saying. I can't help but think about the story of Lazarus. It's back in Luke 16. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked licked his sores. And most of us know the story. If you don't know the story, then what happens? Lazarus does actually die. He doesn't get fed at all from the rich man's table, doesn't even get the scraps. And when Lazarus dies, he goes and he's at Abraham's side. Don't ask me how that happens, but that's how it happens. And that's how scripture tells us. And he's at Abraham's side and the rich man dies too. But the rich man goes into torment. He goes into Hades and there's this chasm between Lazarus and him. And the rich man suddenly wants to be comforted. And Abraham says, brother, you had your comfort on the earth. You had opportunity. And here's Lazarus. Lazarus is being comforted where you're in torment. And the man begs him to go back and tell his family about it. He says, don't let my family come to this place. And we all know that that can't happen. How can a man who is so rich not help a man in his driveway? Can can you just imagine that? I mean, if I was reversing out of my driveway coming to church this evening and there was a guy laying in my driveway, I'd have to do something. I mean... It's crazy. Surely you'd make a phone call. Surely you'd check to see if the guy was okay. In fact, on the way to church, there's a guy in front of me with a flat tire come up beside him. He was driving. This is like the seventh time since I've moved over here. I don't know about people with flat tires. Come up beside him and wear my window and hoy! And he, he was, got so scared he pulled over. Anyway, stopped. I said, mate, so you've got a flat tire. You know, you, we help people. And, and that's what we should be doing. If someone needs food, I mean, seriously, we buy them food, don't we? I know there's people here that have spoken to me and said, I was talking to this homeless person and, you know, one thing led to another. Sometimes they want food. Sometimes they just want someone to sit and talk with them. But most of us don't know because we couldn't be bothered asking. These rich people who would have just reversed their car out of the driveway, leaving that man lay there, let him die didn't care less. It's a hardness of heart. It comes when our focus shifts from God and what he would have us to do. And we focus on what we can gain. We focus on getting ahead. We become self-indulgent. 
And when we consider that life is temporary, that we only are here for a short time, does it make sense to live in this life of luxury when people are dying every moment of every day? They're dying through lack of water. They're dying through lack of food. They're dying through a lack of basic medical supplies. And we can help very, very easily. We've sunk a few wells across the world. I think it's cost us something like $3,000 all up. So what? It makes such a huge difference to people's lives. Our life group's about to do medical kits, birthing kits to send off around the world. And, and they say that these birthing kits impact thousands because you not only protect the mother and the unborn child uh, as she gives birth, but the hygiene that you provide protects the rest of that village as well. It blows my mind that something so simple can have such an impact upon a community. We want to make that difference. We want to help out. And I'm sure that most of you have the same heart and the same attitude. Think about your life. What are you doing to help? What are you doing to help make a difference? And again, this isn't about sending you on a guilt trip. But I don't want you to miss the call on your life either. I don't want you to miss hearing what God is saying to you. If you listen to him, if you respond to what he is saying, you'll have an incredible life. It's, there's just something incredibly special about being right in the midst of God's will. And you can make a difference. We don't know who's sitting around us here today. We really don't. And one of you, some of you, could go on and do incredible things for God, and I hope you do. You know, we're rightfully appalled when we think about that man lying at the rich man's gate and uh, the rich man does nothing. And I don't believe any of us would just do that. I think that most of us would want to stop and help. And in this day and age, though, the, the world has been brought so much closer to us, hey? And we need to ask, who is at our doorstep? We see it on TV each and every day. We can get on the internet and see what's going on around the world. And those things happen straight away. It only takes a moment to see what's going on on the other side of the world. I mean, there's live cameras everywhere as well that you can um, log into and see what's going on in other places. So can we use that technology for good? Can we use that technology to make a difference in our world? And again, Pastor Dean last week said something that I've said before. Sometimes we look at the problem and it's just so insurmountable. There is so much that has to be dealt with. You know, there's 10,000, 100,000, a million people out there who need to be helped. And you, if you look at that, sometimes it's just overwhelming. You don't know what to do. But you are not called to help the million. You're help, called to help the one. Do for one what you want to do for the 10,000. Do for the one what you want to do for 100,000. Do for the one what you want to do for a million. That's our call as long as we're doing something. And it doesn't necessarily involve money. There's so many other things that we can do to help. Get into God's word. Don't listen to what other people say. Don't listen to their opinions if you're wrestling with how to serve God and what to do. Get into God's word. See what he is saying to you. Listen to his voice. Ask him to reveal to you what he wants you to do, how he wants you to act how he wants you to serve. The call against these rich people in verse 5 
was not just that they held back wages, but that they have done nothing with what they have been given. They've decided that a life of comfort is more important than using what they have for others. Remember the last verse of James 4? James 4, 17. So whoever knows the good that he ought to do and doesn't do it, to him that is sin. I believe this verse provides a pretty clear indication of what is expected of us. When we give our lives to Jesus, it should be all of us. And I think you've heard us say that many times as well. That we should live in a way that reflects him. Our lives should be lives of generosity and self-sacrifice. But many live like the people James has described here. And the consequences of such action is devastating. James actually calls them murderers. That's pretty serious, isn't it? If you don't believe being self-indulgent, self-centered and selfish is bad, I think James spells it out pretty clearly here. If you live this way, you're a murderer. James says, you have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. And the charge here is clear. Those who are living lives of luxury and self-indulgence are responsible for the deaths of innocent men, people who had never opposed them, people who had never done anything to deserve the lot that they had in life, women and children, men. To do nothing is not an option. And in my opinion, I, I don't think this can be misinterpreted. I don't think it can say anything else. I think it's saying exactly what is up there. And for me, it says that God takes it personally. God takes it personally when we treat others like garbage and treat them in an unworthy way, manner. Matthew 25, 34 to 36 says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And these people say, well, Lord, when did we do all that? Because they were just serving others. They were just doing what God had called them to do. And then he turns to the goats and he says, I was hungry, you didn't feed me. I was thirsty, you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger, you didn't welcome me. I was naked and you didn't clothe me. I was sick. You never visited. I was in prison. Same thing. Depart from me, for I never knew you. And that's the call in James. We don't know the people that we've been called to minister to. It's not about ministering to your friends. You should do that, yes. 
But this is about having a heart so consumed for the things of God that we're willing to step out and do what God calls us to do. And so Jesus says in this passage in Matthew that our treatment of the poor, the imprisoned, the thirsty and the naked is our treatment of him. How we interact, what we do when we're faced with a needy person is an indication of how we think towards Jesus. He makes it personal. We know that God desires that not one be lost. It's repeated all through Scripture. His desire is that everyone will be brought into the kingdom and he wants us caring for each other when we don't. We're hurting those we refuse to help, but we're hurting God. This week, let's take some time to think about how we spend our money. If we were to take or assess everything we spent our money on in the last week, would it reveal what our priorities are? Does our spending show at least in part that we're following Jesus? If you think that when you did that, you'd come up wanting, is that an indication of where your trust and confidence is? Are you really trusting God for all of your needs? Or are you trusting your own ability to fulfill those needs. Where's your heart? Where's my heart? Regardless of how much we do or do not have, do we hold it loosely in our hands? Are we willing to let everything go if God calls you to do so? Think of the widow with the two copper coins in Mark chapter 12. It's all she had. A pittance by anyone's standards. But she gave it all because she heard the call of Jesus. And she realized how much God had actually done for her. I wonder if we take what we do have for granted. We don't really appreciate how blessed we are. And if we do, perhaps it's time to repent. Perhaps it's time to ask God to forgive you for that attitude. Perhaps we should be the ones that are weeping and wailing. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it's challenged me. I thank you, Lord, that I believe it's challenged others. And Lord, I want to ask you first and foremost for your forgiveness, for the times when we focused on what we have and not on what you would have for us to do with the blessings you've poured out upon us. Lord, will you refresh our hearts, create in us a clean heart, Lord. Renew a right spirit in me, renew a right spirit in us, Lord. And let us be a people who are always looking to serve you, a people who are always looking to serve you, Lord, whether it be actually you, Lord, or someone on this earth. Let us realize that how we treat others is how we treat you if we call ourselves a son or daughter of the Most High God.
Father, humble us. Let us realize that all we have, all I ever will be, is because of you and what you have done. And Lord, if we need to, call us to come forward, to pray, Lord, to repent, to seek your forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen.